This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Beyond Zero Emission Show, and salut, Babette, à Paris. The team tonight is Andy, Jane, and Rachel, and my name is Vivian Langford. A shout-out to Kurt and Erin, who are not with us in the studio, but hopefully they're getting donations out there in the rest of the world. It's the Radiothon appeal. As you know, we are facing the biggest crisis humanity has ever faced. That's called climate disruption. People are rising, but so are emissions, and many people feel gutted. My approach is to help us find courage, so I've invited the first 15 people who replied to my appeal to come on to this show and talk to you tonight. Our Radiothon is a showcase of the climate action you can find in hospitals, in the coalfields, in government, in the media, and I hope they give you some ideas about how you also can take climate action. Now, the first person ringing in is Lynn Bender. She's a psychologist and she's been on this program several times before and everyone says after that they feel a lot better having heard Lynn's talk. So welcome, Lynn. How are you? Hi, I'm great, Vivian. I'm on a tram so it might sound a bit ratty. <laughs> That's a really typical Melbourne sort of background noise then. Look, what's your message to listeners? We've only got three minutes for each person and I know you've written a recent article about planetary grief, but in a nutshell, what's your message? Well, that I think what's changed is the realisation of what's happening, and that's good because there was so much denial. I mean, even Craig Kelly, I saw, saying that wind farms and solar panels were okay. It's just that everything else was going to wreck the economy. So that's progress. But um, with this realisation, and it's evidenced by people like Greta Thunberg and the school climate, climate strike, and um, the Extinction Rebellion comes the sense of the reality of it and the pain and the grief that we'll all experience because we are losing the world we know, the world we've grown up to believe in. And um, that's on such an enormous scale, Um, species extinction, environmental degradation, lives are being lost, Um, extreme weather. We're not even getting our kind of classic weather that we've always counted on, um, even if we've it. And so there's enormous grief. And that grief can be very immobilising. It's important to allow yourself to grieve. And there's many emotions involved in grief, um, including anger. And I think anger can be mobilised in a really positive way. It can give you this energy. You're going to not let the, the we won't say the word, win. You're going, to, you're going to do something about it. And I think it also is a spirit of rebellion and therefore we can all do something about this. And yes, Well, that's a, a scary thing. I was going to say anger. Mm-hmm. I mean, the government of India has put a wall around Bangladesh and it's armed day and night <clears throat> to stop climate refugees because Bangladesh will be one of the first countries to go. So I think I don't know if they've done that in anger out of, or out of caution, but I think anger can take many channels. It's a dangerous thing. But how do you think we should express the anger? What's the way yes. to keep ourselves safe in that expression? I agree, Vivian. We're in a privileged <coughs> position still where we can express our anger and maybe shift at least shift our politicians. We're part of the world. It's hard to shift the whole world. 
But we, unfortunately, this latest election, a huge opportunity was lost to send a message to our politicians that they have to take this seriously. And um, we have elected probably the greater of two evils, but we can still protest. We can um, insist on making it public. We should be having conversations. Now, you and I and BZD, we know, but there's an amazing number of people out there who are still in denial, and I think we need to challenge that whenever we can, even though it's very disruptive. Um, it often earns us some enmity. We should think carefully about what we're going to do and be more defiant. So um, there's actions we can take. We can refuse things. I mean, it's interesting with what's happened with the, the media um, having been under threat, how they've all risen up. Yeah. And, uh, and how powerful that is. I wish they'd rise up for climate change in the same way. Don't worry, they will. So I think that's about enough time. Uh, Lynn, I'm so pleased that you rang in and thank you for your generous donation to uh, this station, 3CR, which gives a platform to all of these people who have yeah. uh, divergent views and uh, who will become the mainstream eventually, I hope. But um, can you just tell listeners, if they're feeling this gutted feeling and disabled feeling, uh, what do the psychologists for... Of a safe climate. What do? What? How do they contact them? Um, well, could you put it on your website? I don't have it up on my okay. on me at the moment. Psychology for a safe climate can refer them to a service that puts them in touch with psychologists who are au fait with climate change. Yep. And uh, also other groups and and things that are happening. Good. So, so that's what I recommend. Fantastic. Thank you, Lynn. You've been a Thank lovely you. contributor to our show before, and thanks for your support today. Thanks, Vivian. Thank you. So that was Lynn Bender, and I hope you took that name down, psychologists, for what did she call it? A safe climate? For, cli- for climate action. We'll find <laughs> Sorry, out the name and put it on our website um, with the podcast. So we've got, got someone else now, Andy. Yep. Do you want to go to. Uh Dr. Forbes McCain. Oh, yes. Is he there? Yeah, we've okay. got him here. Um, welcome, Dr. McCain. Are you there? Hello. Yeah, Forbes McCain speaking. How do you do? Yeah, very well, thank you. <clears throat> now, listen, we've only got three minutes, and I'm wanting to have you on a program about greening the hospital system much later where we can talk at leisure, but you're an anaesthetist. What are hospitals doing to renew, reduce sort of gaseous emissions from hospitals? Um, thank you very much, Vivian. Uh, so uh, the... Um Hospitals are a large contributor to, uh, in a sense, climate change. Climate change is a health issue, uh, and yet health itself contributes. Very, very approximately, we contribute about 7% of Australia's total carbon emissions. Yeah. And, and one way of thinking about it is it's a bit like South Australia. So every everything that every South Australian does, what they eat, what they use for electricity, their planes, their cars, their... Um, everything that they do is similar to, say, what the healthcare emissions are for Australia. So that's that's one way of looking. So it's a big thing. Uh, And what are we doing? So there's some good things happening, but there's also some perhaps not so good things. Um, In other words, there's a lot of inertia. And I will make the comparison with, say, the university sector where some really exciting developments are happening. You know, you've got Monash and Melbourne University, for example, here in Victoria, charging towards carbon neutral by 2030, um, along with big companies like Telstra and the rest. Healthcare, well behind that, which is a bit of a shame because, you know, uh, climate change is a health issue. I would say there's some good work going on uh, in Victoria and some other places with uh, 
uh, putting uh, solar panels on roofs, Sales Hospital. Uh, here we've got Sunshine Hospital where I work myself, 300 kilowatts. It's good stuff, but um, we've got a way to go because, unfortunately, healthcare emissions are actually rising. Um, we've increased by about 30% since 2005, but mm. the rest of Victoria has actually fallen by about 20% since 2005. So some sort of interesting... Because the population is rising, because we're ageing population, we're doing more stuff in medicine, uh, it's a bit of a problem. So we've got a lot of way, long way to go yet, and I would say we're trying to raise the story, raise the um, profile. Well, I think most people would want the hospitals to have everything they need in the way of um, machinery, and um, if it causes emissions, mm. then we can That's cut right. back in other areas. But what, what about in anaesthetics? How could that be cut back? Yeah, so it's quite interesting. It's where I work. Um, certainly the use of nitrous oxide, laughing gas, and desferane, which is one of the anaesthetic gases, they can be substituted with other less problematic gases uh, to still provide general anaesthesia. So they're, they're two gases that really are a bit of a problem uh, and should be curtailed in their use um, where, you know, where possible. Uh, and certainly I, as an anaesthetist, haven't used those for a long time. Um, so that's one small area, but it's an important area because they've got very high global warming potential as, as gases. They, we breathe them in, we go to sleep, and then they're just vented off into the atmosphere. Right. So that's one small area that's really important. I could name a few others. We'll, we'll, a we'll, we'll do it when we've got a leisurely program to <laughs> explore all of that. Thank you. But just for giving us the tip of it, I know hospitals are a big sector, and I know that people are trying there. So thank you so much for representing the Doctors for the Environment on the and, air. We've often had them on the radio and People right. listen to doctors, so thank you very much. Okay. And the Climate and Health Alliance, I'd also mention. Thank oh, climate, yes, yes. The Climate and Health Alliance, they're also a big part of our, um, you know, the, our performers, our speakers. Yeah. So thank you very much for appearing today and thank, thank you for your you. donation. Thank you for your time, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, good. Here we are. We're, listeners, this is going to be like a roller coaster ride because I'm just trying to get everybody to have a short amount of time and they're all such interesting people. I feel like chatting to them. But the next one is Professor Justin Borowitz from ANU and uh, we've interviewed him before. The most interesting work he's doing in the farming sector and he thinks the answer lies in the soil. Welcome, Justin. Hey, how are you, Vivian? I'm good, thank you. Tell us what's the latest, you know... Uh, I hear all I hear about is land clearing, land clearing, land clearing. What else is happening to re- restore the soil? Well, I think we need to be talking more to farmers, uh, especially with the last election. Maybe we didn't reach out enough. Um, farmers have a huge role to play, especially regenerative farmers. And soilsforlife.org uh, is a great uh, community uh, promoting them. I thought I would read out a uh, kind of big-picture abstract that uh, might not take too much time, but it would set the stage for people. Is that all right? Yeah, fine. All right. So this is a kind of an idea. You said what's the latest. So yeah. this is in, in preparation. It's land-based carbon drawdown to regenerate healthy food, ecosystems, and livelihoods. We will gen- develop regeneration plans like digital agriculture plans to address the, the ever-widening marginal landscapes that are expanding due to overuse and extreme climate. And we hope that our solutions can scale from the farm to the agroecosystem and even to the globe to provide healthy livelihoods for, for people. Because we know that the Anthropocene world is changing ever more rapidly, threatening livelihoods and landscapes that support them. But science is delivering us breakthrough methods that have been developed to enhance uh, yield on prime agriculture lands and also to protect biodiversity and pristine wilderness areas. Unfortunately, little attention has been given to the ever-widening marginal lands between these. 
But this is a unique opportunity, especially in Australia, uh, but unknown to city people. So we hope that our project will link transformative technologies of digital agriculture with social movements among farmers and with natural capital uh, investments coming from cities. Okay, well, thank you, Justin, for that. That's quite a rather comprehensive, but um, I'll get back to you later in the year because I know you're big on negative sure. emissions. Yeah. And um, when we we get round to that again, we've done a few programs on drawdown. So thank you for your statement. Thank you for having me, Vivian. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for your donation. Keep up the good work. Yes, Bye-bye. super. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Andy. Have we got someone no else on worries. the line? Yeah, we've got uh, John Shield. Oh, John Shield. All right. This is uh, someone, listeners, from the Beyond Zero Emissions group in Newcastle. So, welcome, John. Yeah, hi, Susan. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for, for um, calling us. Um, and would you tell the listeners what BZE does up in Newcastle? Yeah, sure. Look, uh, we've got a pretty active group up here. We're, um, we have regular meetings and drinks and we have a active Facebook page, uh, Beyond Zero Emissions Newcastle, as well as the main page. And... Um, that sort of even, you know, gets its own life, if you like. And we have lots of uh, things, like we have stalls where we go to each on a regular basis, like the Living Smart Festival at Lake Macquarie. Uh, we launch uh, the BZD Research when it comes out. Uh, we usually get a good panel along and speakers. Oh, you do? For example, we did, yeah, we did the electrifying industry one, which was, uh, we called it the future of manufacturing. Yeah. And that, that attracted a really good crowd and uh, made a big impact up here. Well, do you have a feeling that you're sort of seeding ideas in that community that no one else probably would be bringing up? Uh, Look, there's an active set of uh, groups up here dealing with climate change uh, right across the board, Uh, you know, from Climate Action Newcastle, and there's a new one started up, Newcastle uh, Climate Change Response, uh, and, and there's quite a few others, you know, so yeah. lock the gate people and on and on. Oh, yeah. But we, we have a special niche where, um, you know, Beyond Zero Emissions concentrates on practical solutions to get Australia to zero in 10 years across all the sectors. And, and because we've got that particular niche, a lot of the other groups tap into our results and, and push it. Yeah. Well, I've been to some of your events. I live in Sydney, but I went up for the launching of the Cement Report and I thought, oh, Cement, how could it be be so boring? But it was a vibrant evening and the people were so enchanted and I looked around at all the faces and they were all people who loved discussing just exactly that sort of thing about how you do it. How do you make this transition that other people talk about in airy ways? But um, you were talking really hard nuts and bolts how to do it and I love that. So I wish you well with your group it sounds like you you have fun together and you you're pretty energetic yeah yeah they, they look uh, the, the, the key really is to get uh, um, I guess try and get out there to the community and, yeah. and tell people what we do and then we actually attract quite a good crowd we have you know everyone from scientists through to um, you know retirees engineers managers students you know, even ed- education teachers. You know, we have we've quite a, a large range of skills across the board. And when we when we try to pull in a bit, we're doing a bit of research at the moment up here called Repower the Hunter. We're trying to replace the power stations. And uh, when we pull those skills together, um, we actually 
uh, we can help our help Melbourne quite a lot who are leading the the show. You know, definitely. Well, thank you very much, John. Thanks for ringing in, and thanks for keeping up that work in Newcastle. Bye bye. No, good on you. Thanks, Vivian. Thank you. Now the next caller is uh, from Sydney. His name is Jolyon Bromley. He's a Steiner teacher. And he wants to invite Melbourne listeners to a spiritual conference in Sydney called Common Dreams. Now you have plenty of time, listeners, to um, take down the note, have take down uh, the details of this, and, and get up to Sydney. It's something you won't want to miss if what he says rings a bell with you. So, hello, Jolly, and how are you? Oh, hi, Vivian. Really good. <laughs> yes, thank you for that intro. I'm really, um, I'm very excited about this conference that's coming up. I, I call it an eco-spirituality conference. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's happening in Sydney in July, and the theme, or the, the title, is actually Sacred Earth, Original Blessing, Our Common Home. And there are speakers and artists it's going to be quite a big event coming from around the world. But um, for your Melbourne listeners, um, one of the key speakers is Ro Allen, who's the Gender and Sexuality Commissioner in Victoria. And um, another a minister from uh, Victoria, Alex Sangster, is going to be the artist in residence. And there are lots of artists, poets and people that are participating um, in the event. But uh, really, our keynote speaker is Matthew Fox. And he is really a very significant figure. He was an outspoken advocate of creation spirituality. And his revolutionary book in the 1980s was Original Blessing. And he replaced the idea, the long-held Christian idea of original sin, with original blessing. <laughs> that sounds and, much nicer. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so it was it was very revolutionary. In fact, it created such a stir that he was silenced by the Pope, oh. and um, and eventually excommunicated. So um, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're um, having a radiothon for radical radio, so he sounds just our type of person. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, indeed. So now he's an Episcopal priest in the U.S., but he calls himself a post-denominational priest. Yes, well, I looked up something about what he's written, and he said that climate change is a wake-up call, and everyone, in anyone's language, we know what that all means, and this spiritual sort of life that people have in the sort of shadows and not really talked about very much, I think he's probably trying to reinforce people's strength in... Um, going on. Is that what you'd say? Yes, absolutely. I really like this idea of saying, you know, that, that action on climate, we, we need a wake-up call to really face the reality of, of climate change and, and, uh, and work with it. But he goes on to say that battling climate change requires a spiritual rebirth mm. that sees the natural world as the primary scripture. Not you know, not the ancient texts, but the actual natural world. Well, that sounds terrific, because Jolly, and I'm sorry to hurry you off the air now, but can you just tell us the uh, the dates and sure. uh, like yeah, the website that people can register yeah. if they want to join up with that? Okay, that's terrific. Some basic information. It's the 11th to the 14th of July, and you can get more information about the lineup of speakers and workshop leaders and so on at the website. Which is twenty nineteen commondreams dot org 
commondreams.org.au. All right, I'll put that on our website, 2019commondreams.org.au. And Melbourne listeners, it's not too hard to catch the train up to Sydney. You'll love it if you go there, have a weekend in Sydney and meet up all these. And some of the music's going to be lovely. I think it'll be a very creative time as well. Oh, absolutely. Look, I mean, this is just an incredible gathering of people, like-minded people from around the world. There are people coming from New Zealand, like Professor Elaine Wainwright and um, other performers, and actually Robin Myers is another person who's an outstanding progressive theologian from the U.S., Okay, well, I'll have to say goodbye now, Jolien, and okay. thank you for participating <laughs> and you. donating. And I hope listeners, some of them will take down those details if it's their kind of thing. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Vivian. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was Jolien Bromley talking about the Common Dreams Conference, which does have this connection to climate change. Um, now, Anna Rose um, is a very important person in the climate movement. She started, I think, in the AYCC, and she's been in a climate um, a film called I Can Change Your Mind on Climate Change and she recently put out a call to people who do not know what they can do. They want to do something about climate change. They're sick of sitting still and not doing anything but they don't know how to you know, get in touch with anybody or how to plug into it and, I, and I'd like asked her to um, call and, and tell us about how they can link up with climate ju- groups which desperately need skilled volunteers. So hello Anna and tell us all about that. Hello, good to be with you. Well, I just wrote a Facebook page the day after the election about why I was still hopeful that we can make progress on climate change and just encouraging people that I know to not give up um, after the election result, but instead to really get engaged if you had been thinking about climate change and thinking that someone else was going to step up and solve it. That's obviously not the case. We've all got to do our own part in getting involved in this movement. And I shared it and a lot of people um, shared it around. And so, yeah, I've just been emailing people, um, connecting them with groups that they might want to might want to connect with. And I just set up a little email address for it, which is actonclimatechange2019 at gmail.com. But when people ring in and, or, or, or um, apply to you and say, look, I'm, I'm really good at computer skills. I've got good computer skills, but I'm not very good at being a public speaker or something like that. How would you know who wants someone who's got computer skills? Well, I I don't really have that level of detail about what everyone in the movement is looking for, but I've just been directing people to have a look at the Climate Action Network Australia website, which has a lot of lists of different organisations and to see where they can get started. So, for example, in Melbourne... Um, I know that Environment Victoria is doing a lot to ramp up its volunteer program, so I've been encouraging people to go there. And also Climate for Change um, for the Melbourne listeners also has a fantastic way for a lot of volunteers to get involved through their program. Oh, that's good. And just a little bit more about you, Anna. I know you've been associated with the Farmers for Climate Action, and we've interviewed quite a few of those in the last year or so. Tell us a bit about what you've learned you know um i don't know if you're a country girl yourself but have you learned new things from being associated with them i i have my mum's family are all farmers so i spent you know a lot of time on farms as a kid around the liverpool plains and the hunter valley and northwest new south wales and often people would say to me when they learned i was a climate change campaigner that had a farming background oh that must be really hard you know, farmers don't care about climate change. And I said, no, 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 they absolutely, you know, so many of them do. They're doing things on their own farm. 
um, to reduce emissions, and there just wasn't a group for for farmers that was focused on climate. So I have been really lucky to have been able to support some farmers to get that off the ground, and there are now thousands of farmers across Australia involved in it. We've actually, I've just got back from Brisbane where we had 14 uh, farmers up at a conference about climate change and agriculture, and it's oh. such an inspiring place to work in. There's so much movement happening. Fantastic. I, I must say, just tell you one of my experiences. I've been doing this radio for about eight years. This is the ninth year now, and I have seen a real change in country places where I've gone up. Usually they're pro- people are protesting about coal or coal seam gas, and I remember one group of people, and they told me all the reasons why gas or coal shouldn't be um, drilled for in the Liverpool Plains, and uh, and then I'd say, and what about climate change? And they go, oh, oh, that's that's a bit way out. That's a, that's a an issue for another time. But over those eight years, I've met those people again and they say, oh, we've changed now, Viv. We know mm. exactly. We're seeing the examples of climate change now, really. We feel it and we're on the same page. So I've, I recognise that there's a big movement in people's perception. Yeah, that's right. And especially around that part of the world, Liverpool Plains, we have a lot of farmers in graziers who have really been on the front line of climate change. The drought is still, mm. you know, very, very ongoing and severe up there. So mm. I think as those climate impacts get worse, people realise, oh, this, is, mm. this isn't this is something that's happening in the future. This is happening now mm. and we have to take action now. Mm. Okay. Well, thank you so much for ringing in and uh, making a donation and thanks for your work. And I hope we can get back and talk to you a bit more at length another time. Of course. Good luck with it. Thank you. Thank you. So that was Anna Rose from, I suppose you'd have to say, many organisations, but the main one is Farmers for Climate Action. All right, now we've got two more people on the line. One is Nick Clyde. Um, Should we go to Nick Clyde? Yes. Um, And then we might have a bit of music in between. Nick Clyde is um, a campaigner with Lock the Gate, and he will tell us about what's happening in the Bylong Valley, which, listeners, you might remember we've done many several programs on stopping the Bylong Valley being churned up for a coal mine. So welcome, Nick. Are you there? Good evening, Vivian. Yes, I am. Tell us what's happening. What's the latest with the Bylong Valley? Um, well, Vivian, the, the Bylong Valley is a beautiful place, as you said, just east of Mudgee, about four hours' drive away from Sydney. Um, it's an incredible heritage-listed valley. It's never been mined for coal before. Some people might have heard of natural sequence farming that was invented by Peter Andrews. So that happened in the Bylong Valley. Um, it has some of the very best soils in Australia, according to the New South Wales Farmers Association, who were quite uh, upset that the state government is considering a coal mine in that location. Um, So basically where we're at is a Korean miner wants to build the Bylong Coal Project in the valley, open cut and underground mine, um, and it's now in the final throes of decision-making with the New South Wales Independent Planning Commission. So we're ex- we, we could have a, a decision about that mine in the next, you know, couple of weeks. Do you you must be clo- have your ears closer to the ground than me. The Rocky Hill decision. I'm, I'm clinging to that as having set a precedent. Do you think that will influence the planning commissioners on this? Well, look, certainly. I mean, the Rocky Hill decision was seismic um, in New South Wales, in Australia. 
um, you know, that mine was knocked back for its social impacts and for climate change by the Land and Environment Court in New South Wales, um, as you'll recall, Vivian. We certainly hope that that decision will influence the Independent Planning Commission with Biolong, and we feel that there are many similarities. Um, in terms of the climate change considerations, though, the, the state government does not have a clear policy, uh, clear policy settings on climate uh, and the requirements of the decision maker. So it, it's a, we're in a strange situation with the Bylon Coal Project in that the Planning Commission could reject the mine for any number of reasons, um, and yet paradoxically, from a climate perspective, uh, it's also possible that they could approve the mine under the, exactly the same policy settings. So mm. it's a bit of a confusing situation, it but is. we do know it's an incredible valley and it needs to be protected. And we all know from expert um, submissions to the planning process that you know the planet can't afford that carbon being dug up and burnt. Yeah. Are you there? Uh-huh. Uh, yes, yes, I agree with you. So there's going to be a, an event up in the um, Bylong Valley. It's not much use for Melbourne listeners, I don't suppose, but um, uh, do you think that sounds like a very festive event, you know, just um, a festival kind of thing, but what, what, what are people going to do? Will there be a great mass movement up to stop that place being mined? Well, yeah, so you mentioned our event, Vivian. So it's on the first weekend of the school holidays, the 6th and 7th of July. We've got a 21-time Golden Guitar winner, Sarah Stora. She's playing a show on the Sunday there in the middle of Bailong. Um, and we've got a bunch of other activities on over the weekend. So in a way, it's a bit of community building. It's a bit of celebration of the valley. It's also bringing people together who are interested in saving this, you know, frankly, amazing place oh, from being turned into a new yeah. coal mine. So. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the that's how the weekend's going to unfold. Um, and at the moment, we don't know if we'll be celebrating a great decision um, to protect the valley, or if we'll be strategising around, you know, how to keep campaigning post approval by yeah. the um, planning commission. Yeah, all right. Well, thank you very much. I, I must say to the listeners, I, I know Nick from, he took a whole busload of people with some others. They took a busload of people on a listening tour and we were followed by the police at one stage and I thought they must have considered we were going to make a riot, which was funny because we were all so peaceful. But um, we went and talked to a lot of people there and I interviewed people in the Bylong Valley and and really it's one of these iconic places and if you're far away in Melbourne, you probably don't know how beautiful it is but I, I would love to get this to have a, a high profile like the Barrier Reef or these endangered places that we, we try to protect because once it's gone once you start drilling you know it's a well irretrievable <laughs> things fall into place so thank you thank you for, for telling us about it and can people um, join campaigns do you have an on, online sort of campaign about that uh, look, we have had um, at various stages of the approvals process. Um, at the moment, um, the Planning Commission are saying, stop, no more, do not send us any more submissions. <laughs> um, they're banned for the submissions because there was quite a flurry, you know. A lot of people cared deeply about yeah. this issue. Um, but look, so at the moment we're waiting, sitting tight to see what happens with the approval, but certainly if people go on to Lock the Gates website, you can sign up to become a supporter there or you can like our Facebook page and you'll, okay. you'll be kept up to date with the Bible right. campaign. Okay, thank you, Nick. You're a great campaigner and so is Lock the Gate. So thank you for your work.
Oh, Vivian, and look, thank you for having me on your show and thank you for your interest in Bailong and for visiting that <laughs> beautiful place yourself. You're oh. a great supporter of, of this place. Well, thank I'm, you. A, I'm a city type, so I sort of feel I'm the link. You know, I can travel up to places and describe it, but I'm, you know, <laughs> I, I just would like more people to know about it. So thank you very much. I'll have to hurry on to the next person. We've got a, a board, board full of people calling in. So thank you, uh, uh, Nick. Oh well, now we've um, we we've, we've got um, quite a few people on the there um, lining up. So the next person is actually the CEO of Beyond Zero Emissions. So we haven't talked very much about what Beyond Zero Emissions itself does, but it actually underpins a lot of what all of these other people are doing because it publishes reports and just does all the solid research, and then people can quote it with confidence. So welcome, Vanessa. How are you? I'm good. How are you going? I'm good. Thank you for ringing us on a public holiday. I, I, I'm at work. It's all good. Oh, are you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, tell us about this Northern Territory report that you're going to launch in Darwin. Yeah, so the 10 gigawatt vision is our plan for the Northern Territory. And in it, we show how um, by using the Territory's amazing solar resources, they can drive a boom um, job growth and revenue all off the back of renewables and it's an alternative to fracking. Um, you know, our listeners would know the terrible consequences of fracking um, if it was to go ahead and there's no alternative vision really. Um, so we wanted to work and put this alternative vision forward for the Territorian government and their community. Yeah, well, I I hope you can get a lot of publicity around that and visual, you know, visual publicity because just before the election we interviewed the various people and um, Mark Butler was almost, I felt, um, pulling back from their own policy which said they wanted to invest a $1.4 into that fracked gas being piped across. And um, I said, how, how can you say that when you've, at your own conference, you had Aboriginal people from from the ba- um, Beetaloo Basin, you know, pleading with anyone who was in Adelaide that uh, this should not go ahead. It's got huge consequences uh, for the local people. is just totally incompatible um, with a safe climate and with the Paris Accord. Um, you know, and it, we've done some work to show that it's financially a really bad proposition Yes, but really, this is a positive plan that you know puts forward like all the benefits um, that can flow from prioritising investment in renewables. Mm. Well, I I think it's a matter of publicity. You know, repetition, publicity, getting high profile. If you're lucky, you'll get a you know seven thirty report or a you know four corners or something to come in and really cover it. But um, what do you think about community radio? We, you know, BZE has this two these two radio programs. What do you think the impact of that is? Like the slow drip feed of BZE style information to the public. Well, community radio gives um, gives experts and community leaders a voice, and you know, it, it shares their stories. If you read the mainstream media, you'd be hard pressed to know that the amazing developments in, you know, renewables and clean technology and sustainable finance and community action. There are wonderful things happening. They don't play out largely in mainstream media and it's community radio that shares these vital stories. Yes, I think it does. And we're very 
pleased to do that. And and then we like one. I had one experience. I went to one place, and I'm always the only one there with my microphone. But four corners turned up, and another place I went to suddenly Al Jazeera turned up, and I thought, oh gosh, you know the penny's dropping. Now these people are I, starting to get excited by these stories. And Vivian, I did see on the seven thirty report when I watched it. What did you see? I saw you. I oh, know. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, but you know, that's never. Well, you're never normally going to see that because I'm usually the only one there, or you know. And so, well, but this exactly. is the, the times are changing, aren't they? This is becoming mainstream. So, yeah, it, it is becoming mainstream, and it, it needs to be. And, and also, we're living in scary times, and it can be overwhelming. And we need to look after ourselves to maintain our resilience. And to do that, we also need to know about share and celebrate the good things that we achieve as a community. And community, you know, mainstream media is very good at, you know, selling doom and gloom, yeah. but there are fantastic things happening. We, we need to know about it. And community radio and community, other types of community media, often are the platforms that are putting forward achievements and things to celebrate as well. That's right. It's sort of happening under the radar, but it's definite, there's definitely a lot going on in the communities. And you, that's another one of your research areas, isn't it? The community, the communities that are finding alternatives. Yeah, Zero Carbon Community Program. In fact, we've got something pretty exciting we're um, developing that we'll be launching in August. We've um, partnered with the Lord Mayor's Charitable Foundation, with Ironbark Sustainability and Sustainability Victoria to build a simple web-based submissions tool. So no matter where you live in Australia, you will be able to go on um, and find out what your baseline emissions are. So we're pretty excited about that um, because that's a that's one of our first steps we recommend in our zero carbon community guide. And it's a pilot and we you know we're really excited about where we might grow this tool and resource. Yeah. Yes, it's got to be made easier for people. Friendly, you know? yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Vanessa, and good luck with the, the uh, Northern Territory report. And uh, thank you for contributing to the Radiothon. Uh, always my pleasure. Thank you so much. Bye. Uh, bye-bye. All right. Now, we've got a little lull. Yeah. <laughs> what do you reckon? What do, do you, you feel like? A bit of music, do you think? Uh, yeah. A little bit of music. And then we've got a, a small few minutes from Jeremy Corbyn because in England they announced the climate emergency yeah. and I think Corbyn floated the idea or put the idea out and then the Tories grabbed it and, and seemed to be the ones who... I really hope he wins the election at the end of this year. <laughs> well, I feel like not. the world needs it. <laughs> well, we, I can't bear another election campaign <laughs> even for the UK but, but, he, but it's a very good speech with him and there's someone else and it, and it was from um, the only other climate radio show in Australia, which is the Sustainable Hour. And I think the journalist from that, Nick Nick Aid, is going to call us today, but he has it not on the line yet. But he, he supplied this little bit of audio for me awesome. from Jeremy Corbyn. So can we play that? Yeah, well, a bit and of then music. we'll go oh, after that, a bit of music. Yeah, to stay by the waves. Yep, okay, thanks. I was, like many members of this house on all sides, deeply moved a few weeks ago to see the streets outside this parliament filled with colour and noise by children chanting, Our planet, our future. Caroline Lucas. Thank you very much, Madam Deputy Speaker. The failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. The industrial world's destruction of our planet is essentially the story of a single lifetime. The planet brought from seeming stability to the brink of catastrophe in my lifetime. 
So we have to turn it around in our lifetimes too. It's the most awesome responsibility, but it is also the most amazing opportunity. When people look back at this moment, it won't be those blockading bridges or striking from school that history will judge severely. It will be those who shut their eyes and blocked their ears to the scale of the challenge. So I really welcome the fact and pay tribute to the work of Extinction Rebellion, of the youth climate strikes, because they have already made a difference. The sheer numbers of people in this chamber today are testament to that. At the current rate, we will not reach zero emissions until the end of the century, more than 50 years too late. By that time, our grandchildren will be fighting for survival on a dying planet. The point Greta Thunberg made to me and others when we met her last week was, listen to the science. Which I thought was a very impressive thing for her to say on behalf of um, all the young people that she was uh, working with and speaking for. The IPCC has said, and I quote, that limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees centigrade would require rapid, far-reaching and unprecedented changes in all aspects of society, and that such action is urgent. The science says this is an emergency, but an emergency does not have to be a catastrophe. We could use it as an opportunity to rebuild our economy so that it works for the many, not the few. But it's time to not allow despair to take over. It's a time for action. We can do this. Government can improve the lives of our people while defending our natural world. What we do in this country can have an impact around the globe. So, Mr Speaker, let's embrace hope. The children in school get it. They get it right away. They grasp the threat to their own future. And in fact, they want to be taught more about it as part of the curriculum and their normal school day. Are we to be content to hand down a broken planet to our children? That is the question we must ask ourselves today. We have the chance to act before it's too late. It's a chance that won't be available to succeeding generations. It is our historic duty to take it. I urge members to support the motion before the House today.
back to the Beyond Zero Emissions Radiothon show. And listeners, I forgot to ask you to phone in. Andy, what's the number? Oh, <laughs> very good. <laughs> oh, 03, if you're out of Sydney, out of Melbourne. No. 94198377. That's right. So please call us. That number, 94198377. And please donate. Even small donations, it doesn't matter. We're and all you can up. text in as well on 0488 809 855. Can you say that again? 0488 8098855. Okay, so now we've got, um, we're still doing, showcasing all the different people who are involved. And I'm very happy to know that Christine Milne is on the line and she's the former leader of the Greens Party. You'll all remember her face and she's a true friend of Community Radio. So, Christine, tell us about how, I want to know what you think about the media now, how the media is sort of complicit in keeping us docile or frightened in the last election and yet under threat themselves what are your what's your response to that oh i think we've lost christine just just hold that listeners (laughs) just hold that christine mill was on the line and now we seem to have lost her but when she comes back we just play a little andy could you just play that little we've got a little um sting from hello Oh, there she is. Are you there, Christine? Yes, I am. Oh, we lost you in the ether somewhere. <laughs> I just introduced you. Did you hear the question? Yes, I did. About the media. What do you think? Yes, absolutely. Well, it's just incredible in the last election. What we saw was what we've known for a long time. That's the power of the Murdoch media, uh, not only with just the print media and the, the consolidation of power of the Murdoch media, but also the influence of Sky, the whole broad gamut of Rupert Murdoch's media absolutely ridiculing, playing down the climate emergency, the climate breakdown. At the same time, we had fantastic media coverage from overseas on the Extinction Rebellion, on the whole uh, strike for climate, on Greta Thunberg. And what, in the end, I guess distressed me most was that it seemed that people put their um, the fear of in inverted commas, retirement tax, which, of course, it wasn't. Um, But that seemed to dominate the way people voted, and I think it really sold out the next generation. So we have to pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off, and keep on going because now is not the time to stop. Well, I saw in the Saturday paper... um President Trump apparently said that he had not seen any demonstrators at all, even though in the press conference he was giving the 70,000 people outside were audible, you know, and he said it was fake news. So I think we're in a different world now where people are just confused and um, how to speak the truth. Like community radio, we, we're not paid, we're not professional, you know, people with minders or anything telling us what not to say or anything. So I think we give a platform to people to just say it how it is. But Absolutely, and I think 3CR has been fantastic and I would certainly encourage people to be donating as much as they can. I think Beyond Zero Emissions has really been a major source of good information, truthful, upfront and most certainly topical and current uh, for a long time. And if you want to know what's going on in the climate debate in Australia and around the world and what the latest research is and also the solutions, 3CR is where you're likely to actually hear them first. Well, I think that's right. It's the solutions focus that we have. Why do you think the mainstream media just doesn't focus on that? They 
never stop telling us how frightening it is, but that incapacitates people. Is that the game plan, to keep people docile? Well, I think it's also about the power of the vested interests. When I resigned from the Senate in 2015, I said then that I don't think we can win on the climate and social justice until we take our democracy back from the corporates who've bought it. So it's a classic thing. Trump says it's not happening. The major oil and gas companies say it's not happening. The accounting rules that governments adopt absolutely misrepresent the truth. I mean, we've got methane emissions pouring out of coal seam gas, uh, you know, all around the country and indeed uh, a traditional um, uh, LNG as well. And yet you wouldn't know it from the accounting figures, just how bad it is. And that's why I was quite encouraged when I saw that the British government is putting up some satellites so that it will measure accurately methane from around the world and governments like Australia won't be able to to fudge the figures much longer. So I think there are a lot of reasons, but in Australia it is the power of the resource-based industries, the fossil fuel industries, and this revolving door between politics and business where you see people like Ian McFarland who was the energy uh, minister and shadow minister uh, browning down any climate efforts undermining whatever's going on for the good and then spins off to the Queensland Resources Council and is now out there banging the drum for Adani. So that's the kind of thing that happens in Australia and I think one of the things that we all have to do across the climate movement is joined together on a democracy campaign. So whatever we're individually campaigning on, whatever solutions we're putting out there, we also have to have a real challenge on national ICAC, on actually exposing the truth. And that's where uh, these raids in the last week have been such a worry because they go to the heart of our democracy. Well, how... I know you're a campaigner first. Before you were in Parliament, you were you know, veteran of many campaigns and I think you probably still are now with the International Greens you pick up. Um, How do people fight for democracy? It's just so... I mean, many younger people especially who are just really disillusioned. Well, the first thing we have to do is, of course, get whistleblower legislation and that's uh, not beyond us to put that through. We need a national ICAC. That's not beyond us to get that through. There are a whole range of things we can do and do them quite... uh, prominently and it will embarrass the major parties into actually adopting them and even if the current government won't won't uh, uh, legislate them we can actually make it a big enough issue for the next election to make sure that that's what we get I mean I think people just have to realize that it is not just a straightforward issue of people not understanding how serious global warming is there are people out there making sure that they don't there are people out there, who are creating and spreading fake news. There are people out there undermining the campaigners and we have to be uh, as good as we can be at exposing that. Mm. All right. Well, look, thank you very much, Christine. I appreciate you calling us and your long support for the community radio because I, I know you've got a history there. Thank you and thank you to Beyond Zero Emissions and 3CR and I do hope the community is generous because... We need voices like yours, yeah. absolutely critical to the debate. Okay. Thank you very Thanks, much, Christine. Brilliant. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Oh, well, that's marvellous. And listeners, if you um, are interested in Christine Milne's um, deeper thoughts on renewable energy and Malaysia and so on, listen in next week when we're having a um, program about the energy conference I went to and I interviewed her there and she gave us a very interesting talk about what the International Greens are doing. So now we're going... 
Oh, this is good, Andy. We're <laughs> a little bit of music. Keeping me busy. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Please donate, listeners. I don't know if, if we're getting any donations just from listeners. You don't have to go on air, but... Um, just ring in a few donations, please, because we, we have to make this target of $3,000. Mm. You we can donate online as well. So oh, yeah. Do you want to tell us check the, out the, the, website. the place to... Um, uh, so you can go to... Where are we? I guess at 3cr.org.au. <laughs> I'll find the, the one um, yeah, crowdfunding thing a bit later. But um, we're going now to Giles Parkinson. Um, he's calling us... From New South Wales, I think. He's the editor of a new economy. He's the founding editor of that. And that is a daily newsletter about just about everything in the renew economy world. And he always appears very calm to me. I see him at conferences. He always looks very calm. But he has his finger on the very pulse of the renewable energy industry. So, Giles, what's the picture now post-election? Oh, hi, Viv, and thanks for having me on. And um, just to clarify, it's uh, reneweconomy.com.au. Oh, um, what did I say? Like a renew. Um, I think I, 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 it might be the line I think I heard new economy, but that's okay. Oh, but just to make sure that <laughs> listeners yeah. heard correctly. Look, look the picture um, post the election is um, a bit more bleak than we thought we were hoping it was going to be. Um, yes, because I just don't, I just don't see, the, with the return of the coalition federal government, I just don't think we're going to get any advance at all on any coherent policies. Um, they've had six years already in power. They haven't produced anything. I don't think they're going to produce anything in the next three years. Their ideology and their just simply refusal to even accept, well, for most of them, even the science of climate change is probably a bit beyond expectations that they do something sort of coherent about renewables and emissions reductions. But look, the good news is that technology marches on and I think that the price falls in wind and solar and also with battery storage and the new thinking about the grid, I think that's going to take precedence. And I guess the best thing we can hope from this federal government is just simply just to get out of the way, allow the states to get on with their own projects and their targets, which are really, really interesting, and also allow the um, institutions, you know, the people like the Australian Energy Market Operator and the Energy Security Board to get on with things because they can see that this clean energy transition is happening. They can see that it must happen. They can see that it does actually produce a cleaner, uh, cheaper and more reliable grid and they want to put in a plan to make sure it happens in the most efficient way possible. So please, um, Mr and Mrs Coalition members, just step out of the way if you can't bring yourself to give us to produce a decent policy and just let technology um, you know, lead us forward. Yeah. Well, Giles, I'd just like to know um, on the level, you have quite a few journalists working with you now and you're just punching above your weight, really, compared to the mainstream media. I've just been talking to Christine Milne about the media and I think a lot of my colleagues here are sort of just disgusted with... The way the media doesn't tell the climate story in the exciting way in the solutions or in the devastating way of how we're creating the problem. How, how do you feel when you discuss with your journalists? How do you keep going? Oh, well, look, we're all pretty excited about the technology and we're excited about the transition. And, look, I mean, you know, journalists should get excited about stories. You should get excited about new things and, um, you know, new initiatives and... and for the life of me, look, I, I spent most of my life in mainstream media. I was deputy editor and business editor, then deputy editor of the Financial Review, and I saw the way that that newspaper and those journalists there looked at the um, at the at, at, at the internet when that dawned. 
and the transition and fascinating stories, you know, excitement about new technology, the transition, the disruption, the big players in there, all sorts of different technologies to get you excited. And look, frankly, I'm absolutely dumbfounded about why so many of these journalists seem to be indifferent or hostile. And in the case of the Murdoch media, just, you know, just completely hostile to this new technology. And look, you know, you can you can sort of say, oh, it's ignorance, it's ideology, they're just sort of doing whatever it is their editor or their boss wants them to do. But I still can't explain it because I've been a professional journalist all my life and I can't see how a journalist wakes up in the morning and then goes to sleep in bed having written junk and garbage yeah. like that. I just, it just, I, yeah, I, I just don't get it. Well, what do you think now about the intimidation of the journalists like the ABC? That is truly frightening. Um, I think a lot of people who be watching the ABC think that they've been intimidated in more subtle ways. I mean, sometimes you sort of sit down and listen to it. Look, most of it is fantastic quality, and the journalists there are remarkable. But you do get the sense sometimes that they're kind of afraid to go too far because they sort of feel like they're being watched and they're being scrutinised. But this idea of having people, the, the federal police, barging in and going through documents, doing like, you know, a search term, you know, confidential, and then downloading 9,000 documents yeah. and having a look just to yeah. see what they can oh, find with the, with the authorization to erase, delete, add, and change. It's just, <laughs> look, it's quite extraordinary. And however much the AFP want to defend it and however much the coalition government say they've got nothing to do with it, it really does put the frightener of not just journalists, but anyone interested in the free media and the importance of that. and um, just getting information out there. Oh, thank you, Giles. I'm going to have to wind up. The next show is outside the door. So thank you for talking and thank you for donating. Thank you very much. And good good luck to you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, listeners, look, we started off with $493. Now we've got $1,230 just in this hour. Big thanks to Rachel and Jane. Yes, big thanks. And to you, Andy. Ah, No worries. And thank you. I feel like I'm rubbing shoulders with the big wigs here. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. Well, but, you know, they value what we're doing. So I'd like to thank the donors we know of, um, Juliet Fox, um, Cheng Lim, Julia Patlito, Jane Rudman, Susan Sharp, Vicky Sharp, who was the first cab off the rank even before I mentioned Radiothon, Beth Shepherd, and Miwa Tomanaga. Next Friday, I think they'll announce some more people. Today's donors were Dr. Forbes McGain, Professor Borowitz, John Shield, Nick Clyde, um, Anna Rose, Vanessa Petrie, Jolyon Bromley, don't forget that Common Dreams website for if you're interested in that, and Giles Parkinson. And Christine Milne. So we've really raced through them. I think we've got one minute. I'd just like to tell you, we value your feedback, listeners. The donations are great. If you do it online, please put a little word about um, why you like the show so that we we know. I'll tell you the online um, address. It's givenow.com.au slash crowdraiser slash public slash beyond zero emissions radio one. I don't think you can remember all of that. Please just ring up the studio in the week, 94198377, and they, they will tell you how to donate, but that's the best way. I'd like to just leave you with some words. Now, this is just... Oh, and he's winding me up, I know, but look, I, wanted you, I want you to know this, listeners. It's from a, um, a healing event at Pitt Street Church. Um, they said, Humanity has faced a catastrophe before, but courage and action are needed. 
and they told us about the legend of the Shambhala warrior, which I'm going to get a Buddhist priest to read to you one day on air with a really proper gravelly voice because um, we have to have courage. So good night. Thank you to everyone and good luck. Help, help. Hello down there. Are you okay? No, I'm stuck. Stuck? Yeah, I'm stuck in a country that for two decades has done nothing on climate change. Oh no! Can I grab you a rope? No, there's a rock on me. I I can't move. A rock? What the hell? Well, it's a weight of despair and an apathetic government, powerful lobby groups and an indifferent mainstream media. Dear God, what on earth can I do to help? Go now and pledge money for the 3CR Radiothon. Great. What do I do? Head to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. Anything else? Yeah. Remember in your donation to mention the Beyond Zero Emissions radio program. I'll go right away.